0: or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclive.org and click on the giving tab and choose online campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today. and We hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Where did we find that guy? I love it. I wanna meet him. Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? Pretty good? You excited to be here? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm fired up to be here with you as well. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining us right now, our Franklin campus, our Banda campus, our Garfield Park campus, our Online campus, and everyone watching at the Theodore House and the Johnson County Work Release. And of course, everyone here at the Greenwood campus. Welcome to everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And everybody in the overflow out there, we see you right now. And even at Franklin, we see you in the overflow. So God is doing some, great, some awesome work here in our community. We're in week number two, if this is your first time here. And we're, we're in a second week of a series called Upgrade. And we started it last week. And what we said last week is that, man, isn't it fun to upgrade stuff? We upgrade things like our phones and our cars, and it's always fun to kind of get the next version or, the, or to improve things in our life or even to improve things in our homes. I remember a few years ago, Jackie and I, we wanted to move, uh, we wanted to, to, to get into a larger house because our kids were growing. We've got three teenagers, and we were going to need some more parking space, and we were going to need a basement for the kids to go dwell in. And so we're like, man, we need to sell this house. And so we started, we started to figure out that in order to sell our current house or the house we were in at that time, we needed to upgrade the kitchen cabinets, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the, the uh, countertops and the floors, they were dated. And so we went ahead and upgraded the countertops and we upgraded the floors and then we liked it so much that we ended up staying there for an, another, another entire year. And so isn't that how it works when you upgrade something, it's so nice. It's like, it's an, it's an improvement. If you wanna know what an upgrade is in your notes, it's an improvement, it's a new version or it's an improved model. And it's, it's just a lot of fun to upgrade things. And a lot of times around this time of the year, what we want to do is upgrade our lives. We want to improve our relationships, we want to lose weight, we want to get in shape, we want to make a little bit more money or maybe spend less money, maybe get rid of some bad habits like drinking or smoking. It's a good time to want to upgrade your life the first of the year. The only problem is oftentimes we fail around the second week of February, 80% of Americans fail in their New Year's resolutions. Just six weeks into the new year. So, what we said was, what if we could look into the Old Testament, into a story of perhaps the greatest upgrade ever recorded in history, and maybe draw some principles from that upgrade, apply it to our lives, and maybe this year, instead of failing six, years, six weeks into the year, we can see some success with our New Year's resolutions. And so, that's what we did. We looked at the story of the Israelites coming out of 400 years of slavery, moving into the promised land, literally a metaphor for our life, God wants to take us out of bondage, out of slavery, and move us into a land where there's, according to the Bible, land flowing with milk and honey for the Israelites, but it's really a land of freedom, and that's what God wants to do in our life. Jesus said this one time, he said, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come, watch this, but I have come that they may have life and have it more Abundantly. That word means to have more than it is needed, more than expected, overflowing life. That's God's plan for you and me. And so what we want to do is look into this story. And, and so we started doing that last week. And we, we saw this first principle called extreme clarity. If you were here, extreme clarity. That's the first principle of experiencing an upgrade. And the Israelites had this clarity. God said, hey, Joshua. My servant Moses is dead. Now is the time that you're going to take my people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. So that's what they had. They had that target. And it was God-led. It was God's idea. It wasn't Joshua's idea. So I challenged you to do three things last week in order to get extreme clarity, to spend time in God's word every day, to meditate on the brevity of life, and also to answer this question, how does my upgrade impact the lives of others? It cannot just be for you, right? There's too many people in this world. God wants to bless other people. So hopefully, hopefully, you came today and you have a target. You have extreme clarity on what your upgrade is. How many of you have extreme clarity? Raise your hand. Okay, I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to preach a little better. I'm sorry. I just need to have a moment of discouragement here. I'm going to close my eyes, and I just want to pretend that every hand is raised in this room. How many of you have extreme clarity today? Raise your hand. Oh, look at all those hands out there. It's so amazing. Woo! All right, my preaching is effective. Okay, so I'm going to assume that you all know what upgrade it is that you want to do. Improve your marriage, improve your health and fitness, and get your finances in order. And now we're going to look at the second principle. In your notes, you ready for this? The second principle in upgrade, we're going to find this in the story, is that an upgrade will require you to push your, say it with me, your limits. Push your limits. We all have perceived limitations in our life. What we're capable of doing. And when we look into this story... What we're going to find is that God, every time God wants to upgrade our lives, and and, and we find this with the Israelites, he is going to push us past what we think we can do by ourselves. And many times that's actually true. He's going to ask us to do something that we're not capable of doing ourselves. He's going to ask us to go past where we think think our abilities can take us, into an unknown realm. he's, He's going to ask us to push into areas we've never been before and to do things that we've never done before. Think about it with me. God says to Joshua, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. Now is the time for you to take my people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the promised land. Think about that with me. You're Joshua, or maybe you're not Joshua, maybe you're just part of the 1.5 million people that make up the Israelites, and you get this instruction from Joshua, hey, we're gonna go across the Jordan River. Question, uh, Josh, uh, how? We don't have any boats. There's no bridge. And oh, by the way, if somehow we miraculously get across the Jordan River and, and experience this upgrade, What are we going to fight with? We have no swords. We have no armor. We've never been in a battle. We've been wandering around in the wilderness for forty years. None of us have ever, you know, fought or swung a sword. Or and the people in in the land in the Promised Land—they're battle-tested, battle-ready people with living in cities that are fortified. Some of them by walls. How are we going to fight? How are we going to win? Josh's like, "I, I don't know, but we're going. Every single upgrade, I'm telling you, when you, th- when you think it's going to push you past what you think is possible in your life. And last year, I mentioned a guy named David Goggins, and I want to bring him up again because he, st- his, he still fascinates me. He wrote a book called You Can't Hurt Me, which is like number one seller, New York Times bestseller. And uh, I, I don't recommend this book because of the colorful language in it. Uh, so that's just not something pastors can say, hey, go buy this and read it, but man, what a fascinating story this guy has. Here's a picture of David. I'll tell you a quick version of a story. He spent four years in the United States Air Force, and because he had to do some things in the water, he hated the water, so he dropped out of the Air Force and started working for an extermination company, and he would basically go to restaurants like, you know, I don't want to name any restaurants but he would spray for cockroaches and vermin and things like that in these restaurants and, and, and one night he, he was working and, and uh, he came across what he called the mother load of cockroaches in this restaurant and it was way more roaches that he had wanted to see in his life and he was, he was so down and he was so discouraged he went home he's like I hate bugs, I hate roaches, I hate what I'm doing. He had gained uh, 110 pounds, he was 190 when he was in the Air Force, now he was up to 297. He was discouraged about his weight. He was out of shape. He was spraying for bugs. So he turns the TV on. He's like, something's got to change. And this documentary comes up on the Discovery Channel about the Navy SEALs. And he said something clicked in his mind. He decided he was going to become a Navy SEAL. So next day, he starts calling recruiters. He said, man, I was in the Air Force for four years, and, and I'd like to join. And, and, and they're like, well, how tall are you? I'm 6'2". Well, how much do you weigh? 297. No. you got to be 190 to be even considered. So he's like, well, how, how, how long do I have to do that? Three months. If you can lose the weight in three months, we'll consider you as a SEAL. So he made a decision to lose the weight. And in 85 days, I want to I read to you what, what he did. Oh, I think it's behind here. Sorry. When he to you what he did, nope, I don't have it, but I think I have it in my head. (laughs) This is the fourth time I've given this talk. I better have it in my head. In 85 days, he committed to every, this is every single day, he rode his bike every single day for six hours. Every day he ran a two to six mile run. He had this different loop, loop that he would run. He would, he would swim two miles a day, and he would do a circuit training uh, exercise that lasted about three hours. He would do over 1,000 reps in that circuit training, all on 800 calories or less, every single day for 85 days. And he lost the weight. He lost 106 pounds in 85 days. He became a Navy SEAL. He went through, he also became an army ranger after that, you know, it was a small little feat there. After he left the SEALs and the army, he decided he was gonna be an ultra marathoner, which are people that run 50 mile races, 100 mile races. He ended up running at one point over 200 miles in 39 hours. Absolutely psycho. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? Along the way in 2013, he decided he wanted to break the pull-up record, so he, he did. He, he did uh, 4,000 pull-ups in 17 hours. And so he came up with this, this, when people ask him, and you can YouTube him, again, the colorful language and all that stuff. You get that from the military. It's just, you got to kind of tune that out. But when, you, when they ask him, like, how did you change your life? He said, well, it's the 40% rule. I said, what's the 40% rule? He said, the 40% rule is basically when a person gets to that level in their life where they feel like they can't go anymore, they've just gone 40%. They have 60% more capacity. But at 40%, things start to get uncomfortable. And you start to sweat. It's like, oh, I, don't, I can't do this. It's like, I, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I'm in, an, I'm in my, my discomfort zone, and so we tend to give up on a marriage or in our finances or with a business or with a relationship because it's like, oh, I don't know if this could work. And it's at that point that you can go 60% further, and his life tells that whole story. I love what T.S. Eliot said, the famous poet. Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. That was Goggins' life. See, if you want to experience an upgrade, we've got to go into that 60%. We've got to push past that 40% into the discomfort zone so that we can grow. And this is exactly what the Israelites did. They're like, I don't see any boats. I don't see a bridge. I don't know how we're going to fight the people once we get across the Jordan, but we're going. Joshua's going. And they're moving into the promised land. Now, when we do that, guess what happens? When we move into an area that we're uncomfortable with... Fear creeps in and doubt starts to, starts to creep in because we've never been there before. We've never done this before. It's uncomfortable. So listen to what God tells Joshua in verse 6. Josh, I know this is a big deal. I know you've never done this before. So I need you to be strong and I need you to be courageous. You're going to be the one who leads these people across the Jordan to the land that I swore to their forefathers. That's verse 6. Watch verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Watch verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Three times. Verse 6, verse 7, and verse 9. What's going on here? God knows. He must see the look on Joshua's face like, I'm going to do what? I'm going to go where? Where am I taking these people? There's no bridge. There's no boats. We have no swords. We have no armor. How? Once we get across, how are we going to fight? Josh, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Because that's what happens when we go into the unknown. We become fearful. We start to doubt ourselves. We start to doubt God. Why does God tell Joshua, be strong and courageous? Not not just because of fear and doubt, but also because God is going to require Joshua and the Israelites to bring some effort in your notes. Watch this. Every upgrade involves effort from you and from God, from both of us. In other words, God is not going to do all of the lifting for you. God is not just going to zap you like, you know, remember in Star Trek? Those of you who remember Star Trek, he beamed, you know, God's not going to beam you across the Jordan. He's not going to beam you into your upgrade. It's going to requ- require some effort from you. Let's look at the story real quick. Joshua chapter 3. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan River, which was a two-mile hike. Imagine a million and a half people taking a two-mile hike. That's how many people we're talking about. All their luggage, all their children, all their, all their stuff, their food. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan River and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, very important, they went first. What was the significance of the Ark of the Covenant? Real simple, that's where God's presence dwelled. On top of this box, that inside the box there was a jar with manna in it, the Ten Commandments were in there and Aaron's rod was in there. On top of the Ark was this place between two... Gold cherubims or angels where God's presence would dwell. The significance of the ark going first was, was basically this: that I am leading you, this is my idea, this is my upgrade, I'm I'm the Lord, and I am in your midst. So the ark goes first with the priests, and watch this. It was the harvest season and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. I love this. It's like it's like God's gonna say, watch this. I'm gonna I'm gonna show off a little. The, the river, the river's not gonna just be normal, it's gonna be bulging. <laughs> I love God, what He does sometimes. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, watch what happens. The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at the town called Adam, which was 20 miles north, which was near Zarethan. And when the water below, and the water below at that point flowed onto the the Dead Sea, into the riverbed was dry. And then this happened. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Now, when we read that story, and those of you who have heard that story before, maybe in Sunday school years ago or whatever, the focus is always on what God did. And it's awesome. God stopped this river, backed it up, dried the ground so that a million and a half people can walk across. Unbelievable. But guess what? If the people didn't show up that day, if they didn't make the two-mile walk, if the priests didn't put their feet in the water, why did God say, put your feet in the water? Why not just say, everybody stand back, watch what I do. Why does God require something from them? And then to walk across. How long does it take a million and a half people to walk across a riverbed? A long time. It wasn't just God. Like, maybe you say, well, well, the people really didn't do that much. Okay, maybe the percentages were 5% and 95%. The people did 5%, God did 95%. Okay, that's fine. But it was still something. God still requires something from you and I, doesn't he? Yes or no? Let's look at the next story. So they get across the Jordan River and everything's going well. They go into the first city. Jericho is the first city. What's, what's it look like? Well, God comes to the Israelites and says, here's, here's the deal. Here's how we're going to take this city. You're going to march around the city once a day for six days, which is a big deal. It's a lot of work to get those people around the city. On the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And then at the end of the seventh lap, you're going to take these ram's horns. You're going to blow them. And then everybody's going to scream at the top of their lungs. I don't know. Maybe that's not that much. But it's something. And so they do it, and watch what happens on the seventh day. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, Oh I don't know what that sounded like, something like that. <laughs> Suddenly the walls collapsed. And the Israelites, this is the part we this is the part we don't focus on. We, we focus on the part that the walls came down. Oh, my gosh, the river got split. You know, the Red Sea parted. Okay, that's awesome. Here's the part we don't focus on. And then the Israelites charged straight into the town without any battle experience. They don't even have a sword. They have no armor. And what did they do? They captured the town. That's the part we tend to leave out. Who captured the town? Did God capture the town? No, 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 no. God removed the barrier. He says, you, Joshua. Joshua. You lead these people into the town, and you capture the town. I'm telling you, every upgrade always involves a combination of your effort and God's effort. A couple years ago, I came across a book called Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale. It's a great story in here. It's, I think it's pretty funny. There's a story about a preacher who was driving by a beautiful farm. The fields were beautifully cultivated and abundant with well-cared-for crops. The fences, house, and the barn were clean, neat, and freshly painted. A row of fine trees led from the road to the house where there was a a shaded lawn and, and many flower beds. It was a beautiful sight to behold. When the farmer who was working in the field got to the end of a row near the road, the preacher stopped his car, opened the door, and yelled, God has blessed you with a beautiful farm. The farmer stopped and thought for a moment. Then he replied, Yes, he has. And I'm grateful, but you should, have seen it. you should have seen this place when he had it all to himself. The farmer understood that he had been blessed with a fine farm, but he was also aware that it was his own love and own labor that had brought it to its present state. Do you see it? Yes or no? Do you see it? There's a combination of our effort and God's effort. You say, well, how much? I don't know, 40, 60, 50, 50, 35, 65. I I don't know what the percentages are. By the way, when God knocked the walls down around Jericho, he never did that again. It was the only time. The percentages change. You say, how much? How much should I push? How much is my responsibility when it comes to upgrading my health and fitness or upgrading my finances or upgrading my marriage or upgrading my relationship with my parents or upgrading my grades or whatever whatever you're trying to upgrade? How much is my responsibility? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. So, so here's my answer. As much as you possibly can. As much as you possibly, because you don't know when the, when the Jordan is gonna part. You don't know when the, when the walls of Jericho are gonna come down, you, like you have no idea. So, so you can't just count on God showing up. You have to do what only you can do. You gotta do your part. You gotta show up and put your feet in the water. You gotta march around the city once a day. You gotta blow the ram's horn. What are the things that God is saying to you that you have to do if you wanna experience an upgrade in that relationship or in your finances? I've been studying a guy named Anders Eriksson for several years. He's a Swedish psychologist and professor of psychology at Florida State University. He's got a, a mountain of research and he is now recognized as an international authority on the area of expertise. People have become, who have reached the top 1% in their field, specifically in chess, in medicine, in music, and in sports. Those are the key areas that he studies. He's an an expert at expertise. His latest book is called PEAK, P-E-A-K, The Study of Performance. Fascinating research. His body of research has basically come down to this. I'll try to narrow it down into one one big idea. He says that when a person, whether it's with an instrument or whether it's with a hockey puck or a violin or, or chess or whatever it is, if a person will practice... For about 10,000 hours, sometimes 15, sometimes 20,000 in their life, hours, they can reach the top 1% in their field. But not just any type of practice, not just, not just comfortable practice like going out and you know swinging a bat or shooting some free throws or playing a couple songs that you're familiar with that you've done before. No, 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 not that type of practice. The practice where you're trying to play something that you can just barely play when you're trying to make a move that you can just barely do, when you're trying to hit a pitch that you could just barely hit, right on the edge of failure, right in your discomfort zone. The people who reach the top 1% are the people who practice what he calls it, deliberate practice, focused practice, stretching beyond what you're capable of doing, right on the edge of failure where we don't want to be. See, did you catch that? We don't like being there because we feel like, I'm not very good. I'm failing. I'm missing. I don't know how to make this move. I don't know how to play this song. And most people just back away and they go back to what they're familiar with. I'm good here. Well, the best of the best of the best push and stretch and they push and they stretch. And that's exactly what Albert Einstein said. One must develop an instinct for what one can just barely achieve with one's greatest efforts. This is David Goggins. I'm just barely surviving here, but I'm pushing past this this discomfort zone, this 40% rule, and I'm going into that space, that 60%. And those are the people that stretch and get better and better and better. How much should you and I push? Man, there's a lot of room there. As much as you possibly can. How does this apply to the spiritual life? Is it a spiritual idea? I, I, I believe it is. I believe too many Christ followers, too many people of faith, they use faith as an excuse for a lack of effort. Well, I'm trusting God. I'm putting my hope in God. I'm counting on God. Good, I want you to do that. I think you should do it more. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. But don't use that as an excuse to not forgive don't use it as an excuse as not to get on a budget or not to get in a small group or not to read the scriptures or not to you know get rid of your phone because it's causing you to you know look at pornography don't use faith as an excuse for a lack of effort does this make sense I'm preaching now come on I know you guys don't you don't want to be encouraged and stuff but you know you know this is this is where we got to talk this is what we got to talk about you know oftentimes we we say God I'm counting on you you know what I think he wants to say to you good I'm glad you're counting on me but guess what I'm counting on you You bring some effort here if you want to fix your marriage. You bring some effort here if you want your finances to get in order. If you want a better job, you bring some effort to that. Put your feet in the water. Walk around the city a couple of times. And then I'll meet you halfway. St. Augustine put it this way. Pray as though everything depended upon God. Man, I'm telling you, pray. Hope in God, trust in God. But then on the back end, work as though everything depended upon you you see the balance there? The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, when he was talking about what does it look like to become a mature Christian and a mature Christ file, listen to what he said. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obey God with deep reverence and fear. Like it's on you. Now on the other side of the coin, God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Like God will meet you there. He will give you the desire. He will give you the energy. But you have to work hard to show the results of your salvation. You want to grow in your faith? You want to become more kind, a more loving person? You want to have the strength to overcome temptation and to forgive others? you got to work hard on that deal. you got to spend time memorizing scripture. you got to study the scripture. You have to pray. You have to get in a small group. You have to have the accountability. And then God will meet you there, and he will give you the success that you're looking for. Every single upgrade will require effort from you and from God. How hard do you push? As hard as you possibly can. God tells Joshua, Josh, you're going to have to be strong and you're going to have to be courageous. Oh, wow. You're going to ask me to do things I've never done before and go places I've never been before, fight battles I've never fought before, cross rivers. When that happens, fear comes in, doubt comes in, self-doubt, doubt doubt in God. That's why we need to be strong and courageous. Well, where's the motivation to be strong and courageous? Where's that come from? I left out a part of verse 9. Let's look at it. This is my command, Josh. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and discouraged. Here's why. Here's where your energy is going to come from to be strong and courageous. Ready? For the Lord your God is, say it with me with you i'm with you wherever you go in the same way i was with moses i will be with you and when you bring effort i will meet you halfway here's the message in your notes you are not alone joshua you're never alone and if you're a reader of the bible i'm telling you from cover to cover this is what you see God confirming to his people, you are not alone. Jesus even said it when he was talking to his disciples before he went back to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. Where Where do pastors get the courage to continue to push forward and build churches and Is from this one idea. I will be with you until the end of the year. It's the presence of God. I won't do all the heavy lifting. I won't do your part. I'll do my part. You count on me. I'll count on you. And we'll meet in the middle. And we will see some upgrades. Is this making sense? So let me ask you a hard question today. You all have clarity. I already imagined that in my mind. Everybody walked in today with a crystal clear <laughs> picture of your upgrade. Here's the second question. Where do you need to push the limit? Where have you been hitting that 40% line? It's like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. I don't think I can do it. If it were God's will, it wouldn't be this hard. You hear people say that? Can I just let you in on a little secret? This, some of you, this will change your life. God's will is hard. God's will is hard. You think about some of the verses in the Bible. Listen to this one, ladies. Honor your husband. You just try to do that one day. You know what I'm saying? How about this one for the men? Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He died for her. You want me to die for her? You die for this woman? That's God's will. It's hard. How about this? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Ooh, that's hard. Hello. Some of your parents are like, can you preach a sermon on that, please? Because <laughs> we had this fight this morning in the house and then in the car. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Right? The will of God is hard. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean you back away. It's gonna take some effort. And God will meet you there and say, No, nah, you're not alone in this deal. You do your part, I'll do my part. Where do you need to push the limit? Is it in your finances? Does some of you need to get on the Dave Ramsey plan and get on a budget and stop spending less than you make? Cut your your credit cards up? Come on, I'm being serious now. You're like, oh, don't talk about that. No, I'm gonna talk about that. Some of you just slip your credit card in like there's endless money. Are you crazy? Some of you need, you're like, man, I'm just praying that God would help me overcome my anxiety and and my fear and my worry, it's plaguing me. Okay, pray, I'm telling you, pray. But also set up an appointment to see a counselor. Also look at every Bible verse there is on fear and worry and memorize it. Like God said, you're saying, God, I'm counting on you to deliver me from fear and worry. God says, I'm counting on you to memorize everything I've already said about worry. You see that? And we're like, oh, well, that's hard. I know it's hard, but that's how you move into the promised land. Some of you are like, I've been praying for God to deliver me from pornography. I just, just t- kicking my tail. Pray for it. Count on God to move you out of a slavery to pornography. And then also get in a small group that helps with that. Also get an accountability partner. Also look at every verse in the Bible about sexual sin and pornography and memorize it. Right? You say, oh, man, that's tough. That's hard. I know. I know that's how you get delivered it's always a combination where do you need to push the limit I remember a couple years ago we launched a campus at Franklin the Franklin campus in the old high school remember that Franklin yeah set up tear down every single weekend and the plan was to be in there for about a year until we found property and then build a campus and and it just didn't happen like one year turned into two years, turned into three years. And we were looking for property. We were looking at buildings. We were looking at vacant buildings, you know, uh, open land. We just could, every, everything we looked at fell apart for, for like a couple of years. And then one day I was in a restaurant with my family on Mother's Day. And this gentleman approaches me and said, hey, I heard you were looking for property in Franklin. I said, yeah, yeah, we are. And we gotta get, the, we gotta get Franklin out of that high school, that middle school, because it's wearing him out. He said, "Well, my dad has, uh, you know, 13, 14 acres for sale. He does? Where? Oh, it's right over there by the, you know, the golf course by the interstate." I said, "Wow, that's that'd be perfect. You call me tomorrow. Okay, call him up. You know, so we start chatting." And he says, "Well, it's about $800,000. Man, that's a lot of money. You agree? That's a lot of money, $800,000." I said, "Okay, okay." Perfect property, Lord. You know how much this is. I felt like I was looking at at, at Jericho, but the Jordan River was like in front of me, like eight hundred thousand dollars. Are you like? Are you? There's no bridge. There's no boats. Like, how are we gonna do that? God said, talk to a few folks in the church here. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I called a few friends here at the church, and I told them about the property. I told them how much it was. You know, we not only raised that eight hundred thousand, but we raised even more than that to buy that property. God showed up in a big way through a few families here at this church, a few generous families. We purchased that property. We built the building. And since we built Franklin, Franklin, I know you're hearing me right now. Since we built Franklin, 90 people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. We say, God, I'm counting on you. God says, well, I'm counting on you. Go talk to a few people. Go ask, go look, go hunt. And that's how it works. There's always a combined effort when we're looking for an upgrade in our lives. Look, I don't know, I don't know what your, what, what your upgrade is. So I really don't know where to tell you where, what, how hard to, or what to push on, but here's what I can tell you. You can push harder. You can push harder. God says, you're the person. Let's go back to Joshua 1.6. Be strong and courageous, Josh, because you're the one. You're the one. God's looking at you today and he's saying, you're the one that's going to take this deal to the next level you're the one say this with me i'm the one say i'm the one not in a prideful way okay i'm not i'm not trying to say you're god or i'm god or we can but in 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 a responsible way can you say this with me i'm the one like you're the one look at your neighbor right now and say you're the one go ahead go look at him like you're the one Like count on God, but understand like, if this deal is gonna happen, like I have to take responsibility. Like I'm the one that's gonna lead these people across the Jordan River as I trust in God. If you get nothing else today, I hope you get that. I hope you walk out today with a sense of responsibility. Pray as though everything depended upon God and work as though everything depended upon you now some of you here today you need to hear this last thought i have about the ark of the covenant remember i told you about the ark the ark went first into the jordan it parted the priests brought it out what was the significance of the ark the presence of god dwelled on top of the ark in this place called the mercy seat between the two golden angels guess what else was significant about the ark when they got it across when they set up the tent when they set up in even in the future tabernacle the, the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle of the tabernacle, the centerpiece. They called it the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary. And once a year, once a year, the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies and take the blood of a spotless lamb and he would sprinkle that blood. I know it sounds gross, but he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it over the top of the mercy seat, right where the presence of God was. You know why he did that? To atone for the nation's sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Somebody's gotta pay for all the wrongdoing and all the sin. And so once a year, they would atone for the whole nation's sins by sprinkling the blood on that spot of the Ark of the Covenant. You know what Jesus did? Many, many years later, he would spread out his arms. The perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, he would be slain, he would be crucified so that your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world could be atoned, could be forgiven. Did you know that you can step into a relationship right now because of what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago and he shed his blood for you and he did it because he loved you? Jesus said this one time, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends and then he did it. He shed his blood for you. He died in your place. And today some of you need to upgrade your life by asking Christ to save you from your sins and asking his spirit to come live inside of you. And if you feel like you need to do that right now, this is your moment to upgrade your life. I'm gonna say a quick prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer of trust. Take these words, make them your own and become a child of God today. If you close your eyes and bow your heads, this moment is yours. Reach out in faith. Say this, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for spilling your blood to cover my sin. I believe you not only died, but you came back to life, conquering the penalty, the shame, and the guilt of sin. I receive you today. I trust you. I put my faith in you. Fill my heart, my soul, right now with your spirit. Upgrade my life and teach me from this point forward to love you, to honor you, and to obey you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Come on, nice and loud, amen. If you just trusted Christ, we would ask you to grab your phone right now and text the word SAVED to 65248. Here's why. Our church wants to come alongside of you and help you in your new faith and your new walk with Christ. We wanna put one of these boxes in your hands, these save boxes inside of this box. There's a Bible, uh, New Believers Bible with a reading plan and also a really cool cup as a gift from us to you to congratulate you on your new faith. You can get these in the back of the auditorium on whatever campus you're at. Can we give God glory one more time, church, amen?